It was uh, Abraham Lincoln who said, if all the people who fell asleep in church were laid out end to end, they would at least be a lot more comfortable. Um, so can I say, as we start this short series today, I, uh, looking at some of our favourite hymns, I hope at the very least you're sitting comfortably, and uh, I promise to try and help you stay awake. Over the next four and a half weeks, we're looking at, uh, we're going on a short journey exploring the Christian faith through some of our favourite hymns. Each week we will look at one hymn and together explore its origins and what it says about God. And by the time we sing our fifth hymn, my hope and my prayer is that we will all know a little bit more about the God that we are singing about. And to kick us off today, we have this incredibly uplifting hymn, How Great Thou Art, which revels in the wonders of creation and helps point us towards a holy and creator God. Now, I don't know if you can see this. Does anybody know what that is? Uh, very close. It's the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, it was launched in 1990 to explore the furthest reaches of the known universe. Quickly after its launch, it began to change our view of the universe, capturing new stars and details that were impossible to see from Earth. It transformed our view of the universe from something like this, a few stars on a, on a starry night, to something like that, which is a photograph taken by Hubble. And I'm sure we all recognize uh, as a close-up of the Monkey Head Nebula, NG2174. No, I wouldn't either. Um, however, even these views of the cosmos did not prepare scientists for what happened in 1995. Over the Christmas holidays that year, the Institute Director at NASA, Robert Williams, decided to use the 10-day break uh, over Christmas to point the telescope at a tiny, black, apparently empty space, patch of sky, no bigger than the, than the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. When they came back after Christmas, they were astonished to find not an empty space, not one or two stars, but hundreds and hundreds of galaxies, each galaxy containing a billion stars, all in that tiny speck of space. The discovery transformed our understanding of the scale and complexity of the universe. Astronomers are now confident that there are trillions of galaxies, each one with billions of stars, and that the universe is far bigger and far more glorious than we ever could have imagined. <laughs> Professor Jim Al-Khalili, um, who's a theoretical physicist and a broadcaster, you may have come across him on the BBC, said, it is impossible not to be intimidated by the extraordinary depth of the cosmos. Now, Carl Gustav Boberg, who wrote our wonderful hymn today in 1885, didn't have the benefit of knowing all that the Hubble telescope has shown us. But like many of us today, he could look up at the sky and find wonder. Found wonder in its creation 
And in that, he saw the hands of an incredible creator. Carl was born the son of a carpenter in Sweden in 1859. He started out as a sailor, and you can imagine how at night out on the northern seas, he would have looked up at the stars and just wondered how many there were and how they got there. He became a Christian aged 19 and went to Bible school and later became a member of the Swedish parliament. He published more than 60 poems, hymns and songs, of which the one we sung just now is by far and away the most famous. And as he looked around, he saw a universe of beauty, of power and of wonder. And in that, he saw the fingerprints of a God who is beautiful, powerful and wonderful. A God so great he could tr create trillions of stars with, as the Bible tells us, just the power of his voice. But he also saw a God who was interested in the detail, the forest glades, the birds singing in the trees. A God who not only knows every star, but lovingly created every leaf, every bluebell, who was absorbed in the beauty and the detail of life on earth, who finds joy in birdsong, just as we do. And he knew that this is the same God whom he had met in the Bible, the God who created the stars, but who knows the number of hairs on our head. My hope and prayer is that over the next few weeks, as we look at some of the loveliest hymns, we will all get to see and meet the wonderful God that both Carl, Boberg and I know. So let's try and find something out about him. And the best place to start is the Bible. But as we turn to the Bible, we find something intriguing. It doesn't seem to be very interested in the mechanics of creation. It tells us virtually nothing about how the wonders we've been singing about were created. In fact, it deals with the whole of creation in just over one page, and with the Big Bang and the trillions of stars in the cosmos in just ten words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you know just one thing about the Bible, you will probably know that it's quite a long book. It's not a quick holiday read. So if all of creation is covered on just one page, what are the remaining 1,500 pages or so all about? Well, they're far less interested in the how of creation. That's what science is for, and the Bible was never intended to be a science textbook. Instead, it is much more interested in the who and the why, in helping us know who this creator God is, what his character is like, what he thinks about us, and how we can get to know him. Now, I don't know how much of the Old Testament from the Bible you know. Maybe you can remember some of the stories from Sunday school or where they still invade popular culture. Stories like Adam and Eve, Joseph and his dream coats, Moses in the bulrushes, the Ten Commandments. Well, I'd suggest when you put all these stories together, they can be summed up with just two things. Firstly, 
They were written to help us understand just how big, how powerful, but also how holy the God who created the stars is. But having done that, they're also to reassure us that this big, scary God actually loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. Let's just think about the first theme for the moment. Um, I know in one sense it's obvious. If there really is a God, then he must have created the universe. And if he created the universe, as we've just seen, he really must be unimaginably powerful. But the Bible says there's something else too. It says he's also very different from us. And the word it uses to describe this is the word holy. Holy literally means set apart. God says this in the uh, book of Isaiah. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God is, and by definition, really has to be set apart, holy, perfect. Because if he wasn't those things, he wouldn't really be God. So where do we fit in with all of that? Well, let's imagine we took everybody who had ever lived and ranked them from the very best to the very worst. And we put them on a long list, and, uh, which went, let's say, up the wall of the church, from, from ground to the, to the roof level. I don't know who you'd put at the top, maybe uh, Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa. Uh, at the bottom, we would probably have Hitler, Stalin, people like that. Now, with that as our range, where would you put yourself? Where would you put myself? Well, I don't want to judge anybody in this room, so I've taken a guess about someone you may know and uh, put Pippa somewhere near the top. <laughs> but where would, where would God come on that wall? Well, he has to be somewhere above Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela, maybe at the roof or up at cloud level. Well, what all, the Bi what all the stories in the Bible are telling us is that he's not at cloud level. He's not even at the moon. But he's infinitely beyond that. Beyond even the furthest reaches that the Hubble telescope can see. Beyond those trillions of galaxies. After all, no matter how wonderful Mother Teresa or even Pippa Kramer may be, it would still be a bit disappointing if God was just a slightly better version of them. And I'm sure both of those, I've checked with Pippa, would agree. <laughs> the truth is, the whole range of humanity, from the very worst to the very best, would not even register on the scale of a God who created the universe. Relative to God, it doesn't really matter whether you're holding hands with Mother Teresa at the top or somewhere near the very bottom. Either way, the gap is so big, there's no way that we, by our own efforts, can ever close it. In fact, what becomes ever more clear when we read these stories in the Bible 
is that there's actually a barrier between us that we simply cannot break through. And the word the Bible uses for that is the old-fashioned word sin. Now, I know that's a concept that doesn't go down very well in our culture today. But if we look at it a little bit more closely, I think, I think we'll be, I'm confident we can find something that most of us will agree on. You see, the Bible uses five different words which are all translated in English as sin. And these words reflect one of two things. They reflect either a standard that we have failed to reach or a line that we have deliberately passed. If we go back to our scale of humanity um, we, and we find out what's the standard that we have to meet. Is it the average standard? Is it the Pippa Krama standard? Well, the Bible tells us no, it's the God standard. And that's infinitely beyond that. And therefore, none of us, no matter how hard we try, are ever going to reach that standard. And what's more, if we're honest, even the best of us know that sometimes we don't even try to be good, but deliberately do something wrong, deliberately cross the line from what we know we should do to what we know we shouldn't. That's why the old version of the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses. It reflects the idea that we've crossed the border. We have trespassed into the wrong territory. And that's what the Ten Commandments and all the stuff about sacrifices and all the other laws that grew up in the Old Testament, they're all about. They're trying to help us understand how different and therefore how separate we are from a holy, powerful and creator God. Now, that's all a bit, bit heavy and, and not very encouraging. The good news is there is a second theme that runs throughout the Bible, and that is that God loves us and wants to have relationship with us. You see, the story of Abraham is about God picking one man, choosing him and his descendants to be the means by which he could reach the world. Abraham's descendants were the Jews, and the Old Testament is all about how God tries, not always successfully, uh, to teach them about who he was and how he loved them. Just like Jesus later created a group of disciples whom he loved, taught and supported, not just for their own benefit, but so that they could share the good news with the rest of the world. So in the same way, the Jewish people were the group through whom God could share his holiness and his love with the world and prepare it for his ultimate rescue plan. Now, if you do read your way through all of the Old Testament, you will find out that they were, in fact, not always that good at that. And time after time, the Jewish people went wrong and lost the plot. But God hadn't messed up choosing them, because despite all their failings, those messages that God was powerful and holy, but also loving and longing relationship, longing for relationship, came through and prepared the world for his rescue plan the ultimate way in which God shows us who he is and how he loves us. And that is Jesus and what he did on the cross. And so coming back to today's hymn, Karl Boberg also saw the same link. And that's why he moves seamlessly from the wonders of creation in verse 2 to the story of Jesus and the cross in verse 3. 
And we will look at that in much more detail in our next hymn. But today, I'd like to end with just this one thought. You may say, thank you, Steve, for today. I enjoyed coming. I enjoy singing hymns. And it's interesting to hear a little bit about the writer of those hymns, what they believed in the Christian God. It's interesting, but frankly, it doesn't really impact my life. And if that's you, that's great. Uh, I'm thrilled you're here with us this morning. Um, uh, you may have reached that view because you can't quite uh, believe that there really is a God. Or maybe because you feel that all religions basically lead to the same God or to some vague higher presence. Maybe you just think Christians and Christianity are all a bit too strange, a bit too much hard work. Or maybe you've been bruised by past experience of church or of Christians. Well, whatever the reason, can I ask that you do keep coming with an open mind and just spend the next few weeks thinking again. As the well-known Christian, uh, as a well-known writer and scholar, C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia books, uh, put it, he said, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, but if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it can never be is moderately important. So please, come on a journey with me through the next four hymns and reach your own conclusion, whether there is a God who created this enormous and beautiful universe, and whether he really is worth getting to know.